If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student, and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature, and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast, the Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors, observing the return of wonder and curiosity. Curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. Did you know that Outdoor Classrooms improve children's emotional, intellectual, and behavioral development while helping foster the development of creativity, problem-solving, independence, and confidence? The problem is, overwhelm, fear, and a lack of time can often make achieving any Outdoor Classroom vision into reality more trouble than it's worth. Did you know that we have a membership community at Outdoor Classrooms? It's the leading training community for educators and parents interested in cultivating outdoor classrooms and creating nature-based curriculum. It's a membership to support, collaborate, educate, and bring like-minded educators together. And it's packed with in-depth, practical training and resources for all aspects of planning, running, and growing a sustainable outdoor classroom, plus the community support you need to ensure your teaching gardens achieve their full potential. Hello, today we are in for a treat. I have Claire Nugent here from the Ferntop Nature School, which was founded in 2013. It's the first licensed nature preschool in the southeast. So Claire has a background in early childhood education. She went back to school and got certified as a Tennessee naturalist. She's trained in early childhood music and movement from Music Garden, and she's got a beautiful voice. She has done nature forest teacher training under Dr. Claire Warden in Mind Stretchers in Scotland. She also has done nature forest training with Aaron Kenny at of Cedar Song Forest School in Vashon Island, Washington State. She's become an unbelievable trainer, speaker of nature education and child development on numerous local, state, and regional conferences. She's incredible, and it's been such an honor to have this conversation with her and learn more about her program at Ferntop. She's also a part of the Tennessee Reggio Study Group and a member of the Natural Start Alliance. The Ferntop School is a unique Christ-centered preschool on an eight-acre farm in rural Williamson County, Tennessee. Ferntop is located on the property of Miss Claire's home, providing delightful opportunities for discovery, creativity, and play. Students at Ferntop enjoy the benefits of an entirely outdoor education. 
Ferntop provides experiences found in other traditional programs such as learning through play, discovery-based learning, large fine motor skills, creative expression, art and music, and development of social skills, but uses nature and the themes of farm life as a springboard for learning. Caring for animals and planting and tending to gardens, exploration of woods, fields and meadows, daily nature walks, working in the greenhouse, visits to the small library cabin, reading and expanding on excellent children's storybooks and literature and enjoying a natural playground are some of the activities of a typical day. It was a delightful conversation to connect with Claire and I hope you too feel as awesome and inspired as I was at the end of our conversation. Without further ado, Claire Nugent. We are going to be this month talking about outdoor learning and teaching, and this is also going to be another one of our membership uh, outdoor classrooms tour and talk. So we will be talking about pictures and wonderful images, so if you want to come join us over in the circle, you'll be able to see that as well. So I want to welcome you, Claire. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. So again, this month, we're going to be talking about teaching and learning outdoors and kind of getting a sneak peek into the Ferntop Nature School. So just to kick us off, if you could tell us a little bit about really how you came to becoming the founder of the Ferntop Nature School. Sure. I'm a widow, and 12 years ago, my husband passed away, and I was kind of left with the conundrum of what to do now and how to make money for my family. And I had always wanted to be a mother. I home-educated my children. And I quickly found with home educating them, I was living in New England at the time, the beautiful marriage between nature and education. And so New England was so rich in conservation properties and teaching farms and things like that, that uh, that was just a real inspiring concept for me to latch on to. So when I was living in Massachusetts, I started, I had been trained in um, New York with a music and movement curriculum and with a childhood music and movement curriculum. And I started to go into preschools and offer this music and movement. And, but, but what I did, because I was ignited by this whole concept of the dynamic classroom of being outdoors, the dynamic classroom of the outdoors. I started marrying music and movement with nature and offering it to preschools in the Massachusetts area. And that's when, I think that's when the idea of a nature school uh, took root in my heart. And so when my husband passed away, I moved back to Tennessee where I was born and raised and I found a derelict. And when I say derelict, I mean, it was bad, (laughs) but it was what I could afford. (laughs) So I found a derelict uh, aquatic plant store in a rural part of Williamson County, which Williamson County is a very wealthy county in Tennessee, but the town that I live in, they call it the redheaded stepchild of of Williamson County. (laughs) It's very rural, very kind of like a good old boys kind of place, but that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be able to offer something of value to these families who were having to drive 45 minutes into Franklin and into Nashville to get quality programs. And I wanted to be in a rural area to serve serve these families. So I bought this derelict aquatic plant store immediately <laughs> when I rolled up. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. And in the, for the past, I, the preschool is 10 years old now and it has evolved. And the deeper I get to know children and their developmental needs, the the more inspiring this place becomes. So yeah, it's been a process. Wow. 
That's incredible. So we have a little bit of parallel. I'm in Massachusetts currently. Yes. And I also taught dance. So we have a, we yes. not so good on the music and singing, <laughs> which I hear you are beautiful. We'll talk about that a little later, but that's fascinating. So tell us again, what inspired you? Here you are in this new yeah. space. Well, and you'll see, so we're looking at an image of the four pillars of Ferntop. It's empathy, community, wonder, and play. And I tell you, Victoria, it took me a long time to get down to the nitty gritty of those four words. Mm. When I first started the school, it's on a, a nine acre farm. And then I have access to woods and a creek behind me that my neighbors let me use. There were so many rich places for the children to play. And I totally stressed myself out going from one inspiring place to another when eventually I realized that these children, they just wanted to be in a space and get to know that space well. Mm. So I have a very big natural playscape and those the children love it there. And so instead of rushing them from play, from the garden to the goat field, to the creek, to the uh, bird watching hut, I just for the first few months, we stay in the playscape. And then I take small groups out to those different places. And then once they get to know that place very well, then we open up another world to them. So children, the spaces in the Reggio inspired teaching practice, it says that environment is a teacher. And I've quickly learned that that is so true. So although I have this amazing wild space, I have seen that children are so content to to just yes, to get into a space. Yes. So empathy, community, and wonder and play, those are the four pillars. We do that in a myriad of ways. But Ferntop is a social emotional school that just happens to be all outdoors. And the longer I work with children, the less importance I put on nature, although we are a hundred percent outside, but I really feel like it's the social emotional aspect that makes a child strong. Interesting. That's fascinating. Again, this month we're talking about curriculum and activities, just to get a sense of you talked a little bit about the infrastructure of your actual space. And you mentioned a couple different spaces. Are there other ones that you can just give us a sense of your land and what children have the option to do? Yes. Our base camp is the outdoor playscape. And then from there, is we that what a, we're looking at? We're looking at a picture of... We're looking an, at an outdoor pavilion. And this yeah. is actually my... I'm going to call it a base camp. It's just our base of operation. I have a, um, a handful of programs at Ferntop. I have Monday through Thursday is a preschool, ages three to six, multi-age classroom. I have an afternoon mommy and me class. And I also have on Fridays, I have an eco-drama, which is basically it's theater that is inspired by the outdoors. Mm. And then I have a Friday nature teacher um, class and these programs on Friday are for ages six to 10. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're home edu- for home homeschool kids. So what we're looking at here is our base camp for the homeschoolers. This is an, a, bit, a large outdoor pavilion. And then if you look beyond the pavilion, you'll kind of see a barn-like uh, place. And that is with a fence. That is our large natural playscape. Wow. Then we have so many different places at Ferntop, and it's been so much fun developing them over the years. Like I said, as I have started to understand deeper the play patterns of children and what they return to. We have a large play garden 
that I'm very excited about that we use as a classroom. What I've discovered, and I I don't know if you read Exchange Magazine, Mm -hmm. but um, I did an article in exchange with Dr. Sandra Duncan, whom I adore, Mm -hmm. and talking about that gardens are more than a tomato plant. Right. So what I've discovered is when a child steps into the through a garden gate, they don't change the way they play. If anything, it inspires the way they play and it ignites them because of the different textures and colors. And so and that's the way I feel about the outdoors. The outdoors, it's the most the most dynamic classroom because it's always changing and it's never predictable. Mm -hmm. And so a child can stumble upon a plant one day and it's completely different the next. And that's very different than a toy that you have on the indoor classroom. So at Ferntop, we have a large play garden that I treat like a classroom. We have a bird watching hut that we have their bird observation windows that look out over different feeders that the children fill daily. We have a large meadow that they run in. We have a very large goat field and we have goats that the children walk daily and they're very tame. So that's kind of fun. And then we have a forest and a creek. And then we also have a, a few little ponds on the property as well that are full of spring peepers and bullfrogs right now. So it's incredible. So you just yeah. found this and decided this is what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> this is what we're doing. Looking at the teaching and learning outdoors on your website, I love that you have your headline is rooted in imagination, which is just absolutely fabulous elements of activities that we're looking at a picture here of some beautiful young children picking flowers. Okay. So what I want to put children in sympathy with, uh, with nature. So I want them to be able to care for it. And the way they care for it is by getting to know it. And the way a child operates is through their imagination. So I pretty much think imagination is the key to early childhood as far as teaching them concepts. So this is a redbud tree. And um, right now in Tennessee, the red buds are just starting to burst with this beautiful color and red buds are edible. They're edible raw. The flower and the bud is edible. And so here we are. I've made up a story about the red bud tree and the children are exploring it and they are picking and tasting. And the red bud has a kind of a sweet honeysuckle taste mm. when it's fresh and young. So one of the goals is when the children leave Ferntop, I want them to know the major backyard birds, the major edible plants, the amphibians and the reptiles that are living around. So just some basic nature knowledge and the memories that are associated with those when they leave Ferntop, they have an imaginative piece to it. Mm. So it seems to have a sticking power. Ah. Just the way you describe it is so eloquent and beautiful, <laughs> and it makes me want to be there. <laughs> Again, where do you find your inspiration? Where did we're describing your early days in terms of tapping mm-hmm. into nature-based education with your own children? Right. Tell me more. Okay, so I would say that the beginning origins were was an educator. Her name is Charlotte Mason. She was a British educator in the late 1800s that uh, educated. Teen- teachers who were um, nannies and who were bring who had children at home that she was nannying and she came up with the concept of living books mm. so introducing children to a feast of ideas through living books 
not through textbooks, not through driest toast books, but books that are written by people who have a command of their subject and are able to lay out a feast for children in an imaginative way. So I think that's where I first kind of globbed onto the concept of ideas coming alive. And she also was an advocate for outdoor learning. When my children were little, I followed a Charlotte Mason education that has to do a lot with nature studies. Uh, reading, uh, copywork, poetry, things like that. As as my children grew older and when my husband passed away and I decided to open up this nature school, I realized that I had a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, but not a lot of experience and education in this field. I, you know, of course, we if we're mothers, we have a lot, we have the, the equivalent of a PhD, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I had all this zeal and I needed some develop, I need some, I needed some child development uh, knowledge. So I went back to night school and I got a degree in early childhood education. And then I started following the major big hitters of the outdoor uh, movement. And most of them were in Europe. So I came up under Claire Warden that has the forest school out in Scotland. And I started doing trainings with her and we became friends and she became a mentor and she's done several trainings here at Ferntop. I think I've learned more from her than anybody. She Mm -hmm. truly has taught me how to work with children uh, with nature, not just in nature, but come up alongside and use nature to teach, not just plop, you're in the middle of nature and you call yourself a nature school. So where I find my ideas is I basically watch the children. I see what they're interested in, but I also watch the changing of the seasons and see the gifts of the seasons and what these gifts are. And that's what I present to the children. Some things stick, some things don't. Right now we're talking a lot about snails and spirals, bugs, Okay, so here's Mr. and Mrs. Nibbles. And these are <laughs> this is another so, image, everybody who's just listening to the that's podcast. That's right. So what we're looking at is we're looking at these beautiful, small wooden rabbits that have the girl rabbit. They're not real. They're wooden. The girl rabbit has this beautiful little puffy dress with pockets mm. in the back. Mm. And the boy rabbit has this felt um, apron shirt. And Again, this is the imaginative piece. If you can connect a child's imagination to these objects of nature, they are ignited in a way that will stick with them. So Mr. and Miss Nibbles comes out at our morning meeting, and basically they present what the children can nibble on. So they are holding henbit and Mrs. Nibbles is holding the the wildflower henbit and Mr. Nibbles is holding the wildflower dead nettle. Both of these are Tennessee edibles. Both of them have, uh, they're in the mint family. And so we talk about the difference, the difference between them, where they can find them, when it's safe to eat and what part of the plant they can eat. And so Mr. and Miss Nibbles, we're on spring break next week, but when we come (laughs) back, they will have dandelion in their apron pockets. Mm -hmm. They will have a chickweed. They'll have, let's see, cleaver which is a plant that kind of cleaves to a child. It's really fun. I call it the traveling plant. Mm. So that's fun for the whole month of March and usually April, Mr. And Miss Nibbles, they're, they're with us at our morning meeting. Just gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. 
Again, another beautiful photo of your young children. They're looking closely at dead nettle and henbit. And I'm, I'm asking them to look at the triangular leaves of dead nettle and the circular leaves of henbit to tell the difference. Yeah. And of course, we've got songs that go with these uh, stories. And I have this weird gift of being able to write songs about the most, uh, the, the, just these, these random things, but henbit, I have this little song that I made up that again is a piece of imagination that the children can latch onto. And it goes like this henbit did a hen bite it. No, that's just what it's called. Henbit did a hen bite it. No, that's just what it's called. But if I were a hen, I'd bite it though. The flower tastes like honey. Henbit did a hen bite it. No, that's just what it's called. So these little short, punchy songs about flowers, birds, snails. It's just another way that we can learn with nature and not just in nature. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then it adds to the, the magic because you've it got sure this whole musical element piece. Yeah. This is another area. It looks like what we're looking at is children climbing up bamboo. Yeah. Bamboo. And the reason, yep, this is a little bamboo forest we have. So when I first bought Fern Top, it was an aquatic plant store and they had about two acres of bamboo that served as a windbreak. And I thought it was fabulous when I first moved in until I realized that starlings came every <laughs> night and roosted in this bamboo and left me with lots of ticks and lots of bird doo-doo. And, oh, and my, my, my children who were young then said, mommy, we're having a hard time breathing. And I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> I attempted to eradicate the bamboo and I I did a pretty good job of it, but there's a a little grove of it still left. And I'm so glad because it is the most versatile, open-ended element that the children, they use it for, they make uh, flutes, they make teepees, they make all ramps, they make all sorts of things. Right here, they're climbing it. And I wanted to include it because I just wanted to quickly talk about the element of risk. That's another beautiful thing about having an outdoor school. Children come and we really want to teach them how to be their own risk assessors. So when we approach any sort of dangerous or what somebody might perceive to be a dangerous situation, and this is something that I've uh, Claire Warden taught me, is the three big questions. The first question I ask them is, what's good about this? Mm. And then the children give me feedback. I don't, I don't tell them what's good about this. So in the, when they're climbing a tree, they would say, well, we can get up high. We can get a tree fort. We can look down on the playground. So they're giving ideas about what's good about it. They're discovering the benefits. The second question I ask them is, what should we be careful of? Again, I'm looking for them to tell me what should we be careful of. And then the third question I ask them is, how do we keep ourselves safe? Mm-hmm. So it's, again, them give, being a stakeholder in their own education. They're coming up with the rules. And as we know, as teachers, if they come up with the rules, they're more likely to abide by those rules. So as with any outdoor school, risk is a huge, is, is a huge element of our school that we celebrate and we promote and we don't shy away from. Yeah, there's been lots and lots of research on risk, lots of discussions, open discussions about the need for for risk play. It's just beautiful. It's just amazing how much you this property seems to have evolved over the years. Oh, it has. It's been when I first bought it, my my dad walked on the property with me because I just 
needed a second opinion. And he said, you know, honey, I think this is a good idea, but it's going to be as expensive to take care of you, know, expensive to evolve, to, to develop this outside as it is the inside. And I thought, oh, no, it's not. Well, he was right. <laughs> but for anybody who works with children, they know that you do not need to spend money to make a rich place of learning. So what we're looking at right now is we're looking at a little patch of May apples. The May apples are just starting to pop up in the forest. And what's so magical about this plant is yes, it can be toxic if a child eats it. And we do talk about that, but it, as they grow, they turn into little umbrellas and the children, I do allow them to pick one because they're Mm -hmm. so prolific. I do allow the children to pick one and they hold them over their heads and they say, look, it's an umbrella. And so they call it the umbrella plant. And I do think that that's kind of a slang term for the plant. But in July, it develops a big kind of a, they call it a maypop. And the first peoples uh, realized that it was sweet, a very sweet fruit. So in July is when you can actually eat it. But another exciting thing about this plant is you can tell that turtles live on our property because turtles are the one who deposits the seeds. They eat the fruit and deposit the seeds around. So a lot of people, naturalists will say, if you have May apples, you have a healthy environment because where turtles live usually is an indicator of a healthy environment. Beautiful. Yeah. So another, another picture I think we may have in here is a picture of the trillium. So a may apple is that's right. Okay. So the next slide we're looking at is the trillium or the Trinity plant. This is another wildflower that's starting to pop up right now in the forest behind the school. And I love working with this plant with the children because it gives me the opportunity to present the complex concept of common and rare. Those words are, although we as adults know exactly what they mean to a child, they're pretty, pretty aloof. They're pretty high up there. It's hard for them to wrap their mind on what's common and what's rare. So when we go to the forest, I talk about how the trillium plant once picked, it never grows again. Oh, wow. So when something is rare, it means there's just not a lot of them. But a May apple, if you pick it, it comes again even more the next year. Hmm. So I have this little song I sing to the children. They put a beat on their lap and they beat it really fast. And we go common, 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 rare, common, 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 rare, common everywhere, rare, just there. Common, 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 rare. Common, 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 rare. Common everywhere, rare, just there. And the song is longer, but basically I'm wanting them to be able to experience in their body that common is a lot. So they're beating on their knees with their hands, you know, over and over and over again when they're saying common. And then when they say the word rare, they stop. Prayer is just one. That's another beautiful thing about nature is it can, it gives us the opportunities to really flesh out these concepts that sometimes are hard for children to understand in a classroom, in an indoor setting. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then to connect it with music and song so they can remember it. It's It's so much learning is happening. I've peeked at your website and you have these wonderful events and camps. And I was struck by this photo and then also the camp called All Things Great and Small Insect Camp. So you have a whole camp that's focused on insects. Yes. I love insects. I'm I'm crazy about bugs. I, I tell you, I tried... I tried to go into entomology in college, but I was in 
intimidated about the math. What another something else that I really want to deposit in the hearts of children is that they do not need to be afraid. They need to be aware. And so bugs are something that can be really alarming to children and adults. And what I want a child to know is each bug has a job to do. Just like their mommy and their daddy, they go to work and they have a job that they do. And it's an important job. A bug has a job to do. Now, I will say I'm still trying to figure out what a tick's job is. (laughs) I can come up with a job for almost every insect. I have come up with a tick's job is to quest, which is the coolest behavior. They they stand on the end of a plant and they put their arms out and they will literally, they will literally stay there for hours waiting for a mammal. Okay. Now I hate ticks. We all hate ticks, but that's a pretty admirable quality. A lot of patience. That tick has a lot of patience. So a tick's job is to quest, which is a cool word. It's a rich vocabulary word that a child can have in their pocket. But this insect camp is Yeah, it's fun. We explore all sorts of insects, beneficial insects, harmful insects in the garden. But what the root of this is, I'm really wanting these children to not be afraid. I want them to feel empowered and know that let's don't step on a spider. Let's understand that that spider has a job to do. And let's understand what that job is. Yeah. That's beautiful. And this is actually not, this is a snail. This is a little teeny snail. Yeah, that's right. It's not an insect. It's but not an insect. I picked it. And it's a creature that we can definitely explore. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, this is a great picture of two boys staring at each other with masks on. Yes. So what so, are they learning? And Okay. So the chickadee, actually in Massachusetts, you guys have the black cap chickadee. Here in Tennessee, we have the Carolina chickadee. This is chickadee day. And so we have a bird of the month and our bird in February was the chickadee. Yep. This, and and I have permission from all these parents. So nobody freak out. (laughs) All these parents have signed a waiver. This is chickadee day. And what these children are understanding about the chickadee is it's a brave backyard bird. So Anna Botsford Comstock, she was the first female science professor at Cornell University. And she wrote a seminal work on nature studies called the handbook of nature studies. And it is a huge book that I've used for years, but what she, she calls the chickadee, the Spartan of the woods. So it's small in stature, but it makes up for it with its personality. When those big birds like blue jays and woodpeckers peckers or at the bird feeder, that little chickadee is so brave and it'll swoop in there. It'll dart and swoop and get a seed and take it back to a branch over and over and over again, no matter how big those birds are at the feeder. So we talk about how we can be brave like chickadees and how we, how how we can do bold feats of strength emotionally and physically. So on chickadee day, we dress in black and gray, although that's underneath the coats that you're seeing. Yeah, We don little masks. We do obstacle courses. We talk about times that that we needed to be brave like during a thunderstorm or when mom had to leave and we sing our little black cap chickadee song it goes like this there are many bigger than me bigger than me bigger than me but i'm as bold and brave as can be for i am a black cap chickadee i see a seed that i must have no matter how hard no matter how far i swoop and dart to get that seed for i am a black cap chickadee 
So that's the tickety song. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. And again, the picture that we're seeing now is of the whole group with their with their black masks on. I love it. The next couple of slides are just again, pictures are a thousand words. And just if you can describe what's happening, because it sounds like so many wonderful things are happening. So the image that we're looking at now are children with their they have jewelers loops. Those these are loop lenses and they're looking closely at icicles. I have been following this rich curriculum for my Friday homeschool class. I've been following this rich curriculum called the private eye. And it's, it's all about making analogies in nature and structuring poetry and stories and music around the analogies. What else does it look like? Well, what else does it look like? So these cool jewelers loop lenses that I purchased off of Amazon, they cause things to be magnified and you see the details of objects of nature that you could never see with your naked eye. Mm. And so they're looking closely at an icicle and they're making comparisons. And then what they do is they make lists. So every week, they study a different nature object and they make a list for those who can write. For my six-year-olds, we usually brainstorm and I write it on a board. We make a list and then we construct a poem about what we've observed. So that's what they're doing there. That's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. The focus, so exciting. It looks like you have some gorgeous indoor space as well. This is a little library. It's a little uh, space that we call the Frog and Toad. If you notice, for those of you who are just listening, it's a it's a little cabin library. And on the floor, my mom, who's a gifted artist, has painted the storybook uh, characters Frog and Toad. And so this is a teacher with five-year-olds. So we have a multi-age classroom, three to children turning six in the year. And I have a teacher that pulls the five and six-year-olds away for some deeper investigations during the day. So they do nature journaling every day. Mm. So um, I'm not sure what their nature journaling here, but their space is this little library. That's kind of where they where, where their hub is. It's incredible. I do have a, this nature library on the property. And children, we, we use this as um, we come in, in small groups. We check books out. We take them to the garden or the playground or the bird watching hut. So that's kind of how we utilize this space. It's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. There's, I have no words. <laughs> so many, so many possibilities. You can describe the picture. A lot of children outside. Yes. Yeah, so what, what we're doing now is, you know, there's so much that I could say about Fern Top, but I just kind of wanted to enter into a little raindrop, just a little little peek into what um, our days are like. And so um, these pictures that I sent you, Victoria, are just simply things that we've been doing in the past past month or so. But in February, because of Valentine's Day, we introduced Mr. Snail. And Mr. Snail is a puppet that comes out at morning meeting, and he has a little pack on his back. And the children learn about messages where they come from, where they go to. And we talk about how Snail is the one who delivers our messages at Ferntop. So we set up a little post office outside each day. Now, the weather pretty much dictates if we can have paper outside. If you're a teacher, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but this is a post office. We've collected Amazon boxes, and they are just delivering things all over the place. And we have a mailbox uh, on the playground where where children, it's just a play mailbox where children can put their messages in. And also in February, our bird of the month, or one of the birds of the month, the 
chickadee, along with the chickadee is the woodpecker. And so the woodpecker, you know, if you listen closely, he's sending messages all around the forest Mm -hmm. and he has a he has a beak like a hammer. And so we talk about those kind of messages, the musical messages and the messages that birds send to one another. So everything, you know, everything is integrated. Everything is, is connected. And that's what education is. It's the science, it's the relationship of everything. And that's another cool thing about working outside with children is you see the way things are connected to one another. So, yep, they are, they're sending messages all over the place. That's That's what they're doing this picture. And I love the wagons and the very, yes, very these cool. wagons are, am I able to tell you where I got these? Yes, please do. Okay, so I'm taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> so constructive play things, and these wagons are fabulous, and they have a lifetime warranty, and they're so hardy. They are on the pricey side. The state of Tennessee gave us a grant, and so I was able to purchase these, and they are fabulous. Not only can they travel, materials travel around in them, but children also can get in them, and they can wheel them around. They're very safe and low to the ground. They're beautiful. They're wood, all wooden. They're mm-hmm. just really good looking. Ah, so great. So it looks like this is more of the messaging. Hello, yep. spring. This, this is snail. And so every day at morning meeting, I have a little song that goes, Mr. Snail, Mr. Snail, do you have any mail for me and my family? Can you check your bag? And so, like I said, Mr. Snail has this bag on the back of his shell, and we check and we see if there's mail in there. And um, sure enough, there's mail. And the children also, I have a teacher who works with writing uh, letters to the children, to their family. And so, for about a month, a month and a half, she cycles all the children through and they write, they write or draw a picture for mom. And so, Snail delivers it to the mailbox. So, Fern Top is is my house as well. I live in the front part. And then I had a pole barn that I remodeled as to a classroom. And I don't think I have any pictures of my classroom because mainly we're outside, but the state of Tennessee mandated that I have a classroom for the children. And it's a, it's a blessing because if it's thundering or super, super cold, we're in there. But my mom and dad also live on the property. They have a little cabin on the property. So it's kind of like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. <laughs> So we go and we check the mail and then the children deliver the mail to my parents every day. It's really a sweet, a little sweet rhythm of our day that the children look forward to. Now, do you do the mail all year or is that just in February? You know, we we do it from February to May. So September, October, November, December, January, we're busy doing other things. But when February comes from February to May, it's the mail every day. And Mr. Snail is another character of Ferntop that the children, they've come to love. And I have some of these children three and four years. And so he's a well-loved part of Ferntop that the children look forward to every year. Oh, incredible. Incredible. And I think, you know, that kind of goes, I just want to quickly say something about rituals and traditions. You know, children, rituals are so vital to children. It gives them a rhythm to their year, a rhythm to their day. It gives them something to look forward to. It also cements concepts in magical and whimsical ways and it, it, you know, it just sets a rhythm for our life. When, you know, think about the, the little traditions that you have in your family. So at school, we have lots of traditions and rituals that we do. And it brings also, I think it brings calm to a child. It brings predictability to, to their day. So Mr. Snail is just one of those traditions. Yeah, it's beautiful. 
And so well spoken. You're so well spoken in terms of describing it and the essence of it all. Fire. Fire. Oh, incorporating fire into your space with everything that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So, and you're in Massachusetts. And We're boy, in Massachusetts. I bet those, so, those outdoor programs, they, they use fire a lot. I tell you, when I first started this preschool, I would have said no to fire. But when I went to Scotland and sat under Claire Warden and saw the way that she presented the whole concept of fire and how respectful the children were about their fire circle, I thought, you know what? American children are no different. They can do this. And children are way more capable than we give them credit for. And also, when you think about it, every child... Fire is a big part of children's lives, outdoor, you know, fire pits, roasting hot dogs, barbecuing hamburgers. It's a very American thing, too. What we're looking at is this amazing fire pit that I ordered. I, I Claire had one in Scotland. And the cool thing about it is the outside ring stays cold no matter how hot the fire gets. Oh, interesting. And it's made by, a, I think, a Swedish or a Nordic company called Haba, H-A-B-A. And it has also a chain that you can shimmy up and down and you can hang pots and all sorts of things and make it low over the fire or raise it up. But on cold days, we do have fire and we have benches that surround the fire circle and the children are taught from day one, no matter if it's hot. I mean, when they first come to school, it's really hot, but that inside of that fire circle is sacred. They may not play inside. And we start that conversation very early. So by the time it's cold and we do have a fire in November, they know they, they have been very used to not playing inside the fire circle and they've been coached that way. So there's a real respect for it. Mm. And we do sit around the fire and have meeting meetings. The teacher is on, the only one allowed to add sticks to the fire. It's another risk, um, risk talk that we have. How do we keep ourselves safe? We don't add things to the fire. Just a teacher does. We make tea over the fire and the children feel the warmth of the fire and they see the glow of the fire and they have the benefits of the fire and it brings a coziness to our community. So fire is a is important to our day. Beautiful. It's beautiful. As you've been singing with us, not or to us, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, learned that you are a beautiful, a beautiful voice and you're able to kind of create these songs. I, I see, I want to let the world know that you have a little shop on your website with the, mm-hmm. with the CD. Yeah. So small uh, wonder. Uh, Mm-hmm. Small wonders. Yeah. So the sharing fern top, the lessons and songs from nature is a, it's a, a little tiny book that I wrote just in an effort to equip parents and educators with some of the tools that I use to work with nature and not just in nature. And then the, the CD are the, the songs that are in the book. So I've got a chickadee and they all have social emotional lessons, which that's kind of my heartbeat. I, I just, I want these children to understand their emotions. I want them to know how to get themselves to a place of peace. Mm. I want them to be able to empathize with their peers. I want them to be able to understand how they're feeling. And a child can't help but mirror themselves in nature. And we do that as well. When we look at a bird, we think to ourselves, how am I like this bird? And a child does that too. The book uses objects of nature 
with social emotional lessons and then the songs go along with it. So yeah, that was fun. I did that last year. That's beautiful. Just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So you have a day at Ferntop. Yes. Yes. So what happens is when I first started uh, Ferntop, so I was the first nature school in the Southeast and quickly the word got around and I had educators beating my door down. Can we please come observe? Can we please come observe? And I would, I gladly did that because when I first started Ferntop, I went to all of the nature schools. I went to the most of the nature schools in the United States to, um, to some up in Connecticut. The first one up in Connecticut, I went to Vashon Island, Aaron Kinney, Cedar Song, Cedar Song. I think that's what it's called. And I was, they were so gracious to open their doors to me. And it really, I think there's something real powerful about seeing programs actually in action Mm -hmm. and put yourself in their space. And you think, how can I do this? Or what, you know, what pieces of this can I take back to my program? Plus just seeing how teachers work with children, their different pedagogy and, and how, how they work with the children is powerful. So A day at Ferntop is kind of a study tour. Educators and parents have lots of parents too. They come and they spend the day with us. The first part of the day, we have a tour and all the different spaces around Ferntop. And through through that tour, you're getting a lot of the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we get to spend time with the children at a meeting and and then we usually travel to the forest or they're going to see play on the in the goat field or the garden or other sp- spots around Ferntop and then we have lunch and then a question and answer time and I have a lot of educators that come that want to start their own nature school so we talk a lot about insurance and mistakes that I've made and I've made a lot of them yeah. and things that I've learned along the way and then we observe story and tea and snack at the end of the day. That's beautiful. So that's yeah, beautiful. That's and why where did you get the name for top? Oh gosh. I honestly I walked this property probably a few months just thinking to myself, okay, what's special about this land, the topography of the land? How do I feel on this land? And I came up with Ferntop because I live in a little community called Fernvale, and it is known for all their species of ferns. And so I live on a top, on the top of a hill in Fernvale. And so that's how I came up with Ferntop. I love that. I love that. It's beautiful. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we might have? I mean, I know there's lots and lots and lots, but in this discussion, do you feel like we've covered it? I'm just excited that you're doing something like this. I think that we all have a drive to get children outside. We see the value of it. I've just been recently reading about the idea of soft focus outside Mm -hmm. the, the curves and the roundness of nature. It brings calm. And and there's been research done about that. And I just think that any opportunity that we can get to learn more about other people that are doing that working with children like this and also kind of probe, you know, what worked, what didn't work. I think over the past 10 years, I've learned, I think I learned one or two really good things a year. So I have about, you know, 15 things figured out. You know, (laughs) so, you know, working with children is an honor and it's a joy and it brings, it just brings such deep fulfillment to my day. And I think it's because they walk in such wonder. They're surprised and they're delighted by tiny things. 
And so that's really helped me to battle indifference in my life. You know, when I walk outside, I don't want to be indifferent. I want to notice. I want to stop and wonder. And working with children, that's part of the curriculum. And so it's just, it's just, yeah, I'm glad you're doing this, Victoria. I think this is important to, to interview educators that are working in this way. I was trying to describe it the other day to someone and I said, it's sort of like a potluck that we are, we're all bringing a different dish, but our, and our dif- dishes are different, but we're all coming together to celebrate the, the, under one umbrella. Yes. I want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are. And so where can anyone find you? I know you're in Tennessee and, but any best way that we can all find you, I'll, we'll put your information in the show notes, but is there? Yeah. Any- so um, Ferntop Nature is on Instagram. I think it's Ferntop and then a little underscore and then nature, Instagram, and then Facebook. I have a public Facebook page, Ferntop Nature School. And in my, you can contact me through my website. And usually I'm pretty good about messaging on Instagram. So yeah, that's where you can awesome. find me. I'm around teaching these children every day. (laughs) Well, this has been an honor, honor, and a pleasure. And I'm so excited to have you join this wonderful community that we're creating. So thank um, you, Victoria. This has been an honor for me as well. It's been a great way to spend an hour. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Enjoy. Okay. Thank you for joining us here at the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals, then actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversation. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month. And you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us for the price of one workshop. You get all of this. You get to become a member of our family at Outdoor Classroom. So I hope you can join us. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.